1: Once again, back here in the hideout, Sekou Smith from the Hangtime blog, formerly the Hangtime blog of NBA.com. My main man, Lang Whitaker, in New York, oh. here on the Hangtime podcast. Man, usually when, <laughs> when you say something that steps out of line, you, your response to people needs to be, keep my name out your mouth. But uh, you might want to be careful with that, especially if you're in and around the city of Milwaukee anytime <laughs> soon, man. What, what did you do to upset the Fear the Deer crowd? i? I don't know, but um, Marcus Johnson uh, had some choice words for you after our blog table last week where we talked about guys who should be on the All-Star starting unit based on their play the first quarter of the season. Let's, uh, let's take a listen to what Marcus Johnson had to say about you.
0: And I told you the only question is whether or not you know, he's going to be a starter or not. Now you look at what the panel of experts, nine experts, their starting five, Giannis made eight of their lists, the only guy who left him off was Lang Whitaker, whoever the heck that is. But I mean, he made Sean <laughs> Powell and John Schumann and Steve Ashburner, David Aldridge, you know, all those guys. He's on their list. Lang Whitaker, Lang inexplicably left him off of his list. Good job, Lang. Gortat with the flush. David Aldridge said the Bucks are winning enough for the coaches to consider naming Giannis as a reserve. Steve Ashburner said that Giannis needs to be in New Orleans. Yeah. Everybody but Lang Whitaker. Sean Powell, what's not to love and admire? That was his quote. Yeah, yeah. Good old Lang Whitaker. John Schumann, <laughs> best player on a surprisingly decent team. Well, you know, when you when you're competing and winning, as long as you got a solid record and can maintain a solid record, then all the Rangers accolades will come. Rangers. Except from Rangers. Lang Whitaker.
2: He writes for NBA.com.
0: One of my favorite sites. Sorry, Lang. (laughs) My bad, Lang. (laughs) As do the others. Uh, No, no. (laughs) Ian Thompson said that Giannis appears to be a certain all-star. We agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Third all-star and and worthy of some starter consideration.
1: Except from Lang (laughs) Wicker.
2: Man, he was... Uh, Did they think think that I was saying he shouldn't be on the all-star team? I don't know. (laughs) Because I got a couple of tweets last night from people who were like, why do you, Why do you think Giannis shouldn't be on the all-star team? Right. Which I didn't say. Yeah.
1: They, you got to read the question. Whatever. You know, but. I thought man, that was fun. That was awesome. I never heard your name said that way that many times. Neither have I. I. <laughs> Lang <Lang-whittaker. laughs> Um, I, I will say, too, that there's no doubt about it that Giannis needs to be on Easter Conference all-star team. That's not even a. That shouldn't even be a debate for anybody.
2: Well, um, uh, no, I'm kidding. I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I think it yeah. should be on the All Star team too. I, I asked uh, actually our producer John Hartzell a second ago before you got on. Are we considering him a forward or a guard? Because if he's a starter, you have to differentiate between the two. Right, right. Well, and he played, like, He's
1: a starting point guard technically, and if guards... you watch the games, he's a starting center. Yeah, so that's the thing. you so, can put him uh, front court or yeah, front court. I guess I mean he could go either way. Um, I mean, as long as he's on the team, I don't care. Um, <laughs> he just needs to be on the team, period. Yeah, I in think a, he will be, too. In a discussion. I mean, he's he needs to be I'm, on the team. I'm pretty sure he's a lot. Yeah, so take that, Lang Whitaker. Hey, look who showed up, Lang, on time as always. <laughs> oh, Rick Fox. Taking a look, fellas, at the biggest surprises through the first quarter of this NBA season. Uh, I like bad news first, so Lang. <laughs> let's start with your Hawks. My Hawks, who started nine and two, and and Rick, if I remember correctly, this dude was blowing smoke, talking noise, big time about his Hawks early in the season.
3: Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I I I was humbled. I was humbled <laughs> out of the gates, uh, and it's not that I I don't see the Hawks. Or didn't see the Hawks having a you know a solid strong season with the lineup and the current roster and the success they've had, you know the exit of Jeff Teague and, and handing the baton over to Dennis Schroder, um, you know <laughs> th- and, and signing Dwight Howard. Look, th- th- there were some promising uh some promising thoughts out the gate on paper, and then they lived up to it, going nine and two. But as of late, I don't know if Lang, I don't know if you jinxed them by by celebrating a little too early. You can tell me what's going on. Uh, maybe you have some answers to why this has been derailed. Uh, and now at 12 and 13, things, things aren't looking so uh, glorious.
2: Well, first of all, I'm glad you were able to call in from that bottom of the well that you're in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, they, they started 9-2, and they, they sort of had an easy schedule. and, and they oh, handled don't their blame business. it on the schedule. Oh, no, they, oh they here handled, we go. I'm not blaming the schedule. They handled their business early on. Um, things got a little tougher, and they folded. And, uh, you know, uh, defensively, they're still generally pretty good. The, the three front frontcourt guys that they're starting now, Dwight, Milsap, and, and Tabo, are all in the, the top uh, plus-minus defensive rating. Right. Um, but offensively, I think we kind of figured scoring was going to be a problem um, with Teague gone, and it's been worse than I think you thought it would be. And I don't know how much of that, you know, Bazemore's been hurt. Um, Corver's getting older. Um, with these defensive guys in the starting lineup, the offense has suffered. And, and the problem is when, like, against Orlando, you give up 130 points. Like, I mean, you're not going to beat anybody giving up 130 points. So uh, right now it's, it feels like a lot of things are going wrong.
3: Well, I, I guess I have one other question. Do, do, do they miss Jeff Teague and Al Horford? Uh, and is the transition too quick from you know really those two players were pretty much anchors on that the success of the last few years I mean it's left Kyle Korver as really that veteran to stand alone with the new additions of youth that are coming up around him I mean is, are they really missing those two guys Yes so. Yes Yeah I think
2: so I mean yes. Millsap too You're forgetting Millsap is another like veteran well, He's still
3: there no, He's still there yeah.
2: yeah Yeah I'm saying Millsap and Corver are still there like they're the two oh. Yeah, kind of veteran presences that are still there, but yeah, they they do miss the two of them. I mean, and and with having Dwight in there, Saquon, you see it too. Offensively, they, it's yeah. totally different than it was a year ago. They're easier.
1: They're easier to to defend because they're more predictable. I
3: think. So, and how is the transition of, of, of Dwight been? Is it? I mean, it's we've seen twenty five games now. I mean, what what what's the transition? What's the assessment? Twenty five games in. I don't.
1: I don't think Dwight has played poorly. I think Dwight has been pretty good. I think the problem is. Before, you never knew who was going to beat you when you played the Hawks because the ball was always moving. You know, right. Their ball movement was so good, you couldn't key on one guy. Now you know between Dwight and Dennis Schroeder, when they have the ball in their hands, you kind of know what you know what to expect defensively. Gotcha. And so they've become an easier team to defend. That and I feel like they've lost key players. Think about who they lost the last two seasons. You go from when you have ult, that the ultimate chemistry they had during that sixty win year. Mario Carroll. You lose Damari Carroll one year, and then the next year you lose Al and Jeff Teague. That's a lot of change to overcome. I don't care who you are. That's a that's a is, you're taking away key pieces.
3: Lang is 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 white no longer uh, really as valuable to this this era of, of basketball. When we think of like Roy Hibbert, and I'm not comparing him athletically to Roy Hibbert, but we see the challenges that Roy has been faced with as, as the league has become a faster-paced league and the three-point shooting. You look at Al Horford, Al at least took, what, a hundred and something three-pointers last year and developed the the, the the stretch game where you had to respect him. He could run the floor and keep up. I mean, we're not going to see Dwight taking a hundred three-pointers.
2: I think Al took something like 200 three-pointers last year, but... You know,
3: either yeah, I'm trying to be generous and, and lower the number.
2: No, he took a lot. He made about one a game, though, which which was big. Um, I mean, look, Dwight's still averaging 14 points. I mean, the big difference is the rebounding for the Hawks. I mean, he's averaging 12.5 rebounds a game, and I think a, a lot of Al had trouble rebounding because he was out at the three-point line so often. Um, so it, it's changed sort of the way the team works offensively defensively i i don't know if you know dwight's never going to be that guy he was in orlando right that that ultra athletic guy who plays above the rim and he's still every once in a while now dunks on somebody or or pull right. something out but but he's not going to be that ever again and and the trick is how do you maximize what he is right now and i think uh, teams have been kind of keying on him lately yeah
3: so i guess i'm going to ask Sekou the question then. Seiku <laughs> is, is is Dwight Howard as as Lang put it, unable to really play consistently athletically above the rim and be that dominating, you know, defensive player of the year and lead the league in rebounding. He's still respectable numbers, but is he a dinosaur as it is it as it pertains to the way the game is played today? I, don't,
1: I think not only is he some something of a dinosaur in terms of the pace and space era. You can't even build a team around him the way Stan Van Gundy did in Orlando because you have to have the ideal number of shooters around him to make that work. And, right. and they just don't have – honest to goodness, they don't have the kind of guys around him that you can build that team around. I know what the vision was, that it was going to be like it was in Orlando, and they don't have that personnel. They, they just don't. Kyle Corver's coming off the bench now.
3: Right. That's what I was going to say. So to Lang's point, then, if there's still value there, Lang, play GM for a second. There, there aren't that many shooters, right, on that team that shoot the ball like Kyle Corver. And even Kyle, as he's gotten older, to leave him right. on the floor defensively is a greater challenge. How do you maximize Dwight on the floor? How do you get the most out of, of this Hawks team as it's constructed if it's going to have to compete with the pace and space game and, and or, because it's it's obviously they're caught in the middle now.
2: You know, I think when uh, Millsap has not played as well this season as he did the last couple of seasons, I know he's had a hip happy? injury and other things. What's that?
3: Is he happy as a hawk Who Millsap? Come I know he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, I just I know he's not playing the way he played a year ago and um, and two years ago and I think Baysmore also has struggled offensively this year. He's still pretty good defensively, but I think I I honestly think if those two guys kind of just get back to to playing the way they can play it, it's going to open things up again. But right now it's. Everyone's just collapsing everything in on Dwight, and when they try to get him the ball, they they try to force it in there a couple times a quarter, and everything kind of stops. And that, like Seiku said, the ball movement is so key to to what made them good the last couple of years. And uh, they're trying to figure out, I think, the answer: what what what's the in between there? Do you do you try to force it into Dwight, or or do you right. try to play the way we can play?
1: Listen, they're not alone, guys, either in in our underachievers list. And and this may be a little unfair to this crew. Because I, I honestly thought they were maybe another year away from this. But Minnesota, 7-18 and 18 record. A lot of people, not me, but a lot of people thought this was a team that had <laughs> a chance to be a, a playoff team in the Western Conference this year. I felt like that wasn't fair to that group. Those guys are still young. It's yeah. Tom Thibodeau's first year. They needed more time. But a lot of people would tell you, based on their sixth best offensive rating during the first half and the fourth fourth worst offensive rating during the second half it tells you a little bit about what kind of struggles you go through with a team whose stars are that young
2: i watched them against the bulls last night and and i think that was sort of what the second half they put up last night i mean they were down 20 came back and won the game that's that's what you that's what you're hoping for all season but they they haven't been able to capture it all season i'm not surprised either i mean there's you know plays in that fourth quarter last night where where they're running the offense through Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns and the two of them combined, I think are probably still under forty years old. Like, I mean, <laughs> it, it's a young team, right? And there's gonna be struggles and and like you said, just Tom Thibodeau's first year. They've played what twenty five games now with him, so uh, there's things that he's still I'm sure trying to teach them on the defensive side also.
3: Well, I gotta wonder is. There's, there's the defense, right? Or, I mean, there's yeah. the teaching aspect. There's the coach element. But he's carrying two hats now, right? So it, it just – as GM and, and coach, how do you, I wonder how he's balancing these first 30, 40 games because he's got a young group of guys yeah. who are all, if he puts his GM hat on, who are all going to have to be you know tough negotiating positions He's going to have to take with them or he's going to end up paying three or four of them to max. Yeah. And, you know, he's got to find out quickly if they are, if they're, if they're max players. And when you have, you know, you have cat who's com- completely looks like that already. He's established that Wiggins, you know, he has these amazing moments, uh, games where he can score the ball and you say, okay, he's a scorer. Is he a max player? um and then Levine, Levine starts to come along here and you go, okay, well, if the three of those guys individually establish themselves as you know max players, and, and we know what the max is these days, 112, 115 million dollars for these guys. So now you're gonna you're gonna move forward technically close to four hundred million dollars in these three players. Yeah. I don't start, think... They better start closing out games and showing me that the three of them can win together. I'm I'm not putting it on them. I think
1: their issue, like I've said for the last couple of years, is that point guard. Like, Rubio,
3: right? But Dunn Dun comes in, right? And I mean, yeah, but gonna, Rubio has to be
1: the facilitator for them to finish these games. To, in my opinion, like, I don't know if you agree with me. And and I know you know, you could talk about the makeup of the roster, but when you have this many young stars, up and coming stars on the team, you gotta somebody un, unfortunately might get sacrificed in the development of someone else. But to right. me, Rubio has to be the facilitator for them to get better. If you watch their games, the way teams play off of Rubio and dare Rubio to beat them with a shot, yeah. it impacts the rest of those guys and the way they play at the <laughs> end of games.
2: But I think, you know, also I think Ricky's clearly better in the uh, right. transition game than he is in the half court. Yes, as we see, they're struggling in the second half of these games and closing out these games, and that's a lot of times when you get into the half court, and they give yeah. it to Wiggins or they give it to Towns, and they clear out, and they try to run a play. Yeah, yeah and, and they don't really just have it yet. So I, I think that's also just part of the bigger picture there of trying to figure that out.
1: And, and for the record, Scott Layden is the GM in, in Minnesota, but Tibbs is is the president of basketball operations and has final say on, on what happens with the roster, which is very important, Rick, I think that you pointed out. It's, he's He's got to wear those two hats. And, and think about it. He's doing it. Stan Van Gundy's doing that in Detroit. I mean, you got these situations where there are young players that have to be developed. And I think it's interesting. Detroit is sending Stanley Johnson, um, you know, and, and some of the younger guys back and forth to their D-League team, working out some of the, the rough edges. Minnesota's not doing that. All their young guys are playing. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're regular rotation guys.
3: So you corrected me. Let me get this straight so I'm not wrong. So, Tibbs is not carrying two hats. He is. He's the president oh,
1: he of Basketball Ops and the head coach. But Scott Layton okay. is, is technically his GM. You weren't wrong. It was We just didn't but put – Right, so, he,
3: so he's got to evaluate I mean, he, even – He wasn't wrong, but <laughs> – Thank you for pointing that out, Lang. I'm, I'm rarely Lang um, Whitaker. i rarely wrong on Wednesdays, but today <laughs> it's, one of those, you know, um, it's
2: like it's like being the the owner of a E League team, but not being the GM. But you sort of are, right? Well,
3: let me tell you something. When you're the owner of any team, you're ultimately the end, end You know, the last right. the last voice to say yes or no, and, right. and GM will br- the GM will bring you. Uh, You know, he'll bring you the suggestions, but I have to think Tibbs, you know, being the coach and in the locker room, and I don't think the GM is on the bus and in the locker room and on the plane every day with them. You know, he may have opinions about players and Tibbs might, you know, being as close as he is on the day to day, you know, he might have stronger opinions. So I just, I just know, I got to think he's evaluating, you know, not just the team and how they work together, but who he wants to move forward with, because he'll take under under advisement Scott Layton's, you know, advice on things, but you know, he's building a team. He's trying to build an organization that that will fit his culture.
1: Yeah. Some a team we celebrated last year is the last team on our underachievers list and they have struggled tr- dramatically on the defensive end this year and that's Terry Stotts' Portland Trailblazers. They can't they cannot seem to find a consistent mark on defense to, to carry them. Um Third worst and, in the NBA in, de- in their defensive rating, and Alfaro Al Camino who was critical to their defense last year, has been battling back end issues uh, this season. But w- what do you see as the the thing that's missing for the Trailblazers?
2: I mean, to me, it's it's that commitment to the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they they clearly have great offensive players and one on one players, and right. one of the best backcourts in the NBA, if not the best, uh, two guys back there. And, but when you get into that front court, I mean, they just don't have the, the bodies to, to stop, (laughs) you know, once guys get past those two guards, then what happens? And I think to me, that's, that looks like the bigger issue to me.
3: Do I, do I dare point to, I was going to point to the, to, to the fact that a number of them are pretty, pretty locked up and secured and pretty wealthy right now. Um i mean uh, uh, there 's a lot of dollars that have been handed out and yeah uh, and you know there 's a difference when guys are chasing for respect and and yeah. chasing contracts and trying to prove they're worth being around longer and and then there 's that you know that six month period after you make a hundred million dollars where you 're sitting there kind of like wow i 'm rich.' Yeah. Well, then- <laughs> and you you you're worried about how you're dressing coming to the game, <laughs> style, and how cool you look on the court. And you know, what I mean, like like other things enter into the consciousness of a player mm. that consumes their focus. Right. And it's not that it's not something every player has to learn how to deal with because you do. Everyone that's four, five, ten years in the league, at some point you get a hit, you get paid, and you you become you become wealthy. And it's something that you have to adjust to. Then, and a lot of these guys got paid about two months ago, right? Two three months ago, and they're adjusting with, oh, I mean, I never have to really work again in life, uh, and but yet I still got to go to work for the next five years of my life here with this team. So, you know, that's diff- That's a different motivation to get up in the morning than I got to get up in the morning and go get my money.
1: Right. Right. I didn't include Dallas at all. Probably should have, but. They're such a tire fire right now. Let's spare Mark Cuban and his crew the uh, pain of dogging him out. On we can't, a I don't think we can
2: count them unless Dirk's healthy. Yeah. If he's healthy and they have that record, then it's, then it's another different,
1: yeah. yeah. On the bright side, though, on the pleasant surprise side through the first quarter season, Memphis Grizzlies 17-9. and nine. Conley's out. Mike Conley's out until mid-January at least. Who knew? Mark Gasol is balling. David Fisdale is doing a great job. Um I go ahead and admit, both of you, that we didn't see this coming. Nope. You know, not, not 17-9.
3: That's, no. that's impressive.
1: No. I mean, they've been really good. And with Zach Randolph shifting to the bench, Mark Gasol stretching his game up beyond the three-point line, and as I mentioned, without Conley fully healthy, stunning job that, that uh, Fisdale has done. Um, to me, coach of the first quarter of the year, if we had a Coach of the Year award after, at this point in the
3: season. Hey, right. you know what? Lang, Lang, and Seku, the the, the Marcus All. I mean, he's taken what seventy plus three pointers already in the season. Yeah, uh, he I mean, I,
1: he's I, already I, passed I, his. I think I saw somewhere he's already passed up. It's, his, it's amazing
3: thing—he's he, yeah. only taken like three in a season before. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit. It's a little bit what Al Horford did right. a year ago, right? Where he at that point when you realize that oh, okay you have to run out there to the three point line and guard that individual yeah, that opens yeah. up so much so much traffic in the paint to get in there and if you're a guard if you're a wing player i i want i almost want to point to those two moves i mean really the two guys we consider you know grit and grind who were like bangers and bruisers and plotters and and really weren't you know weren't moving up and down the court at any warp speed and Gasol and Zebo have both with the shift of zebo to the bench, yep. and with the saw stretching the floor by really becoming a three-point threat and shooting, what, 47% from the three-point line? Yeah,
1: that's ridiculous.
3: Yeah. That's ridiculous. Like, where was the that first, the whole
2: career? Well, in his first eight seasons, he the most he ever shot in a season was 17 attempts. Last season, he attempted three. He was two for three last season. This year, he's 38 for 87 so far. It's 43.7% on threes. I mean, it makes me think that maybe he's always had this and they just didn't want to use him that way. And, you yeah. know, maybe David Fizzell was like, hey, okay, we want you to take those shots.
1: I'm just mad that uh, we didn't see the Conor McGregor strut out of him until this year. If I'd have known <laughs> that we'd get the Conor McGregor strut, he should have been shooting threes a
3: long time ago. Yeah, no, that was, that was hilarious. Um, I've been waiting <laughs> for a like you from you <laughs> Come my life.
1: Oh
0: no. I've been oh. Yeah. And yeah, it'll stick with you now.
1: I know. Hold on a second. Are What's we ready? Up,
0: we're recording. What's
1: up, Bizzles?
0: Yeah, I hope you're recording. That was some of my best stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we are talking about surprises, and it's Brent Berry joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Um Surprise <laughs> We're talking about the pleasant surprise we've already run through the list of teams that have disappointed thus far so we don't want to revisit the the trashy things uh, we okay. said about okay. portland and you know, minnesota and all those guys but i was saying that the memphis grizzlies have been one of my most pleasant surprises thus far just yeah how they've played how the transition david Fisdell has made you know from an assistant coach to a head coach are you are you shocked at all to see how well they're playing with with the issues they've dealt I, with
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, – by the way, Sekou, did you have more lumps of coal in the stocking, or is there more more uh, more positivity? No, about- we're just
1: doing – we're doing all positive right now. We're doing dance and Santa okay, right gonna,
0: now. Okay. You've already <laughs> got stick, so let's stick with it. Memphis, um, you know, first of all, Fizz has done a, a remarkable job. It, it, it kind of – it speaks to a couple things. It speaks to the fact that after all of his years uh, as an assistant coach, that the timing – yeah for him to step into the big seat. He was ready for it and uh and he's done a great thing just establishing an identity uh for the teams that he wants to coach. and and that's an interesting dynamic given what we've known about Memphis for so many years, first under Coach Hollins and then under Coach Yeager and about you know what their what their makeup is and about the grit and grind and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. uh really one of the interesting factors I think when you look at Uh, what he's been able to do with Conley being out is the fact that he's just gotten the attention of some guys who are still trying to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. So when you're a coach in that situation, if you've got a bunch of guys that have their guaranteed deals and you're a new coach and you're trying to intimate new ideas and a new philosophy, some might look at you a little squirrely or a little bit sideways They've not gotten any of that from Marcus and Mike Conley and Zach Randolph and Tony Allen. That's been great. Yeah, they've got Moans. no minutes from Parsons, who's who's supposed to be the guy. Um, that's supposed to take them into the next phase of what their offense is. Mm-hmm. But the other guys that have been playing, the Jermichael Greens and right. uh, Baldwin and Harrison, these guys are trying to prove themselves. And so the only thing that they can do is do the right thing over and over, and I think that that's why they've been doing the things that they've been doing.
2: Bones, Lang Whitaker here. What's up, Lang? Another team I that we have on hard. our list of – uh <laughs> Sorry. Man, yeah. these guys. Stick to your day jobs, boys.
3: Oh my <laughs> Especially you, Rick. <laughs> Get away
2: Man. Rick who sang that song.
3: Someone in the eighties.
2: <laughs> Let's keep it that way. Um, <laughs> Zing. Another team we have on our list of like surprises is the Thunder. And I you know, a lot of people wondered if they would make the playoffs. They're fifteen and ten right now, six in the West. I think Russell Westbrook is a cyborg from the future that it was created to be incredible at basketball and also have an interest in fashion. Um, what you do you John think Connor? about the way the Thunder have played thus far?
0: Get to the choppo. Um <laughs> I think that, uh, I, you know, I'm still, I'm surprised. I'm pleasantly surprised Russell is a show. I mean, people are going to see OKC to watch yeah. Russell be Russell. And I think that's, it's a great thing for the league certainly how he's how he's taken on the leadership and uh and the accountability for everybody else has been great and i think billy donovan deserves a lot of credit too for um for the way that he has approached this season the way he continues to speak about russell but that team still to me is going to be a question mark as the season moves forward i mean if there's Significant injury to to anybody in their rotation. They're just not very deep. And, of course, if something happens to Russell, it's a nightmare scenario. So they've been refreshing. It's been great in the first quarter of the season. I I just don't know. I mean, there's really this idea of sustainability with a lot of these teams. I just don't know if what they can do is going to be sustainable enough uh, to to be a playoff team. Maybe fringe, but uh, I'm a little skeptical.
3: Hey, Brent, be beyond uh, sustainable, what's been almost shocking, and I know we discussed this a little bit on air, what the Rockets have been able to do. I, I mean, the double down on the disregard—I would not to say the disregard, but the, the lack of focus, maybe, and attention to improving themselves defensively in the offseason, they just doubled down and they said, hey, more offense will be our defense. At 18-7, and seven, really James Harden uh, orchestrating and chasing— Russell Westbrook in, in the triple-double departments and, and MVP Chase. Uh, are you are you as surprised as the rest of us that the Rockets are, are off to the start they're having?
0: Uh, I'm not completely shocked about it, just because um, the idea of what they're doing in, in Houston, bringing in Coach D'Antoni, there's a lot of things I think that, that Daryl Morey recognized last year in their struggles about the potential of what the team could be if guys like Sam Decker and Harrell were going to be part of the rotation and then the continued maturation process of what Capella could be if he was in these situations where it was going to be hard delivering the ball and he was just basically going to dunk on the roll and be an impact player on the inside defensively and then be that role guy on the offensive end. So I I think behind the scenes what Houston – was assessing was look we make this coaching change and we turn it over to Mike D'Antoni and play a lot faster and bring in guys like Eric Gordon who they've gotten way more out of in the first quarter of the season than they could have ever have expected and that's great for Eric um, and Ryan Anderson to shoot the ball and Ariza's wing defense and Beverly being able to be a you know a pit bull out there at the point guard position that they they felt like they could be in this this spot. And the other idea, Rick, is you know playing that fast during the regular season. The one thing that's tough is as an opponent to turn around and get ready for what the Rockets are. Like you play Memphis one night and you play Portland uh, on a Wednesday, Memphis on a Monday, Portland on a Wednesday, and your next game is to play the Rockets on a Thursday on a back-to-back, you're not ready for what that is. You're not ready to guard the three-point line. You're not ready to pour that many points on the board after the schedule has kind of dictated to you tempo and bad travel. And now you've got to go up against this juggernaut. where are going to create all these opportunities on a nightly basis. So I'm not completely shocked about it, um, but it is, it is a pleasant surprise for, for coach D'Antoni and what Houston is doing. And to see James be the best assist maker in the game. I think that's a bit of a shocker that James is the number one assist guy in the league. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's not only fascinating to see that evolution, Bones, but you look at, and we talk about this all the time, about young players and their development and how they're going to come along. The Knicks would fit into that surprising category for me. 14-11 um, and 11 record, tied for the third seed in the East. And really, they've been up and down based on the nights Porzingis can go out and play. Crazy and just get thirty and yeah. and exploit mismatch. Do you think that's a team that's capable of sustaining that for the season, that position?
0: I, I don't, and uh, I don't. I don't really like to be pessimistic. You know me, Seku. Um, <laughs> but if you look at the Knicks' wins, look yeah. at who they've beaten. I mean, the, the, most of their wins are against teams that have really struggled. They're mm-hmm. below five hundred. They, they've not really been great against the elite teams now right you know is that the ultimate measuring stick is that you got to beat cleveland and you got to beat golden state to be a good team no not not this year those are the elite of the elite and there's some other good teams that you should be competitive with but so far the knicks records are a little bit inflated because of the strength of schedule right. and um you know, good for them that builds some confidence for jeff hornacek in the ball club but i don't know if there's sustainability in uh and what they can do and and then question marks about really the health of the team as they move deep into the part of the season where you start to act up you know derrick rose and and what it is that Noah can bring them physically can they handle that because they're not the deepest team and deepest team in the league yeah
2: um, they've, they've they've gotten some good performance like Kylo quinn's been better than i think a lot of people uh, suspect Hernan gomez is
0: Kernan Gomez has been good. Kuz has been good. Yeah. I mean, that's that's been exciting. And that all comes, I think, laying as part and parcel to, to winning. Like, everybody, there's a feel-good about it. And uh, I love to see that. Cause he, and even Sasha Bucic has had good minutes for them. Yeah. Um, and that's awesome to see the Garden up and running. But if we're going to take the Knicks really seriously, there's got to be a lot more uh, consistency and improvement from what their starting unit is giving them versus those, you know, those tag
2: minutes from the bench. I've got another surprise for you. Uh, Rick Fox has to leave us in just a moment here.
3: <laughs> well, well, hey, look, you know, I, it's, it's, um, I have to go prepare for my weekends with Brent on Sundays. It's, it's rare that we've, we're seeing the same place for longer than 30 minutes. So, um, you know, it's, it's a little overkill. Uh, um I do. I do want to listen though to to Brent your your thoughts on Demar Derozan and and the Raptors, but just particularly, you know, his year as a whole and and what he's doing out of the gates here. Are
0: you going to take the answer off the air? Is that, how that goes? <laughs> I'll
3: hang up and listen.
1: Yeah,
0: all. yeah I'll hang up. I'll, I'll take your answer off the air. Thanks, long time listener. Um,
2: First time caller.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the the Derozan thing has been fascinating, and and obviously over the past ten days, it's it's gotten a lot more attention because. Of what Toronto is represented offensively, and uh, and their offensive rating versus what the Golden State Warriors are, just how significantly different uh, they're they're doing things with with drives to the basket and uh, little little to no no ball movement on Toronto's side on some possessions and uh, a little bit slower pace. But uh, Damar has been remarkable this year. They, they've uh, he just keeps getting put in these positions on a nightly basis where he has tremendous confidence that he can that he can put the ball in the basket or get to the free-throw line at any time. And uh, what him and Kyle Lowry represent to that team means so much. But there's also this continuity thing going on with Toronto. It's been a few years that they've been together. Damari ne- Carroll now a full year uh, and a half maybe two years now away from that injury where he's maybe going to find his form at some point 40 games into the season, and that can only help them. Their bench has been defined. Uh, Siakam is a young player that they've put in and given reliable minutes to. So there's a lot of continuity things that's that's helping out both Lowry and DeRozan and certainly the Raptors to be in the position to be the the second-best team in the Eastern Conference so far.
2: Bones, it's a it's a big day Sunday in uh, in San Antonio when uh, Tim Duncan's number 21 jersey is going to be retired. Um, I joked about Russell Westbrook being a cyborg. I I really think Tim Duncan was a robot (laughs) for for his career, the way the consistency he played with and, and, you know, the excellence he had night after night. Can you tell us, first of all, are you going to be there? Sunday?
0: I won't I won't be because 'cause I'll be in there with Rick oh, in Atlanta. who's gonna be really prepared for Sunday in Atlanta <laughs> and the and the work uh Sunday morning. and Monday. A little miffed. I, I really do wish I could be in the building to uh yeah. to just pay my respects to Tim and, and he knows how I feel about him. I talked with him after he made his announcement last summer, uh while we were out in Vegas summer league and actually was with R C the very next day and um, I just have such reverence for what Tim represents. He is, he was the reason that uh, that I made the decision to go to San Antonio and continue my playing career and, and wanted to play alongside somebody like that and wanted to be coached uh, by somebody like uh, Greg Popovich. But there's so much reverence. And, and the one thing that I'll just bring up with you guys is, is this. There are a lot of guys that retire that are great players in our league that after they retire they like to talk about themselves Incessantly, or they like like you to think? talk about the things that that they did over and over, and then uh, if it's not them saying it, they go to the their best buddies on the team and ask <laughs> them to to say all those things. The one thing about Tim that's so uniquely different uh, with regards to this reverence is that everybody around the league, from coaches and general managers to uh, you know fan bases that watched him for all those years, come into their building and play against them. To all of his opponents and teammates, everybody speaks the same way glowingly about what it is that Tim represented for so long, not only in terms of his excellence as a, as a basketball player and what he could do on the block and what he could do for your team defensively, but what, what he did for the organization, what a calming force he was, the impact he made. Certainly, I've, I know of these things in San Antonio and around the community here. And then representing the league uh, the way that you'd want a star player to to do it going about their business quietly with due diligence and uh lifting up every you know uh, rising tide raises all boats that's the way Tim was his entire career yeah
1: it's great great player obviously um and it should be a great scene in San Antonio uh, on Sunday I'll when... be shocked
0: if pop makes it through without getting you little, know, little both him and RC will be very, very emotional
1: yeah.
0: on Sunday. And I love the way that the Spurs do these sort of things. Seku, mm. you've been to them, and Lang, you have too, when they honor a player and they they do it at halftime, and it kind of truncates. And I know Tim deserves more than that, but it sort of truncates the the career and the impact of a player. I love the fact that this happens after the game. This happens for people to stay around. The opposing team can move on. Yeah, you know, they could take their shower and take off. Uh, and the rest of the community and the fan base and the coaches and the friends and family can stay in that arena and celebrate uh, what it was that Tim represented uh, for so long and will be remembered for really forever, uh, I think, uh, around the league. Yeah.
2: Last, hey, Brent, last, last thing. No, no, we, good, we got, more, we, a, we got one more important thing, Lang,
1: to ask him about before uh, we move on to anything else. And this is something that Brent and I talk about, have talked about incessantly. I've been obsessed with it since I first read about it and heard about it. But how bad is De La Salle going to beat St. John Bosco in the championship game this (laughs) week?
0: Wow. Well, I mean, I I hope that De La Salle gets the job done. They're they're so disciplined and and, uh, so fired up for these moments. You know, they roll through regular season. I'm I'm praying for them. I I sent a message. coaching staff and the, and the old staff there about the game and, and just hoping they get the job done. So, yeah, let's go Spartans.
1: No doubt about it. Brent Berry, join us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Sorry Rick had to run, but you can catch up with him Sunday when you school him on All oh, Things Basketball wait. on NBA TV. I've been waiting! <laughs> Thanks, man. We appreciate you, B. Travel safe.
0: Hey, guys. And if I don't talk to you before, have a wonderful Hanukkah holiday, Kwanzaa. Christmas, no question. New Year. No question. Look forward to seeing you guys soon.
1: Enjoy the boys for the holiday, man. We appreciate you.
0: Well, do. All well right, do.
1: Sprint Berry joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Always good to get uh, some time with with the superior talent we have here uh, at NBA TV, at Turner Sports, NBA Digital, the whole nine yards lang. Um I, I I really feel like the Tim Duncan jersey retirement thing should be a league wide celebration. Like there should be like a moment of silence everywhere on Sunday when his jersey goes to the Rafters when you think about what he meant for the Spurs, if really for basketball in the post Michael Jordan era, he was he was one of the the shining lights for the league um in, throughout the course of his career and, and will be for a long time.
2: I think instead of you know, every team is not gonna retire Duncan's twenty one, right. but what if every team put a little number twenty-one on the court, like fifteen feet out <laughs> yeah. from, from the wing, right there where he on used to the, hit yeah. those, where he used to hit those jumpers off the glass? Off the I glass,
1: no question. No they question. should retire
2: that spot on the court, which that was his spot.
1: No question about it. No question about it. The big fundamental baby jersey going up into the sky in San Antonio Sunday. More brain power, Lang here on the Hang Time Podcast. We go from our main man Bones Berry to. John Schumann in this week's Schumann stat. Fellas. Dude, what's happening?
4: Not much. What's going on?
1: We're trying to get enlightened, man. Give You know, make, help me understand.
4: All right. So we're talking about <laughs> uh, surprises this week, you know, in, in the uh, blog table question. Right. And, you know, my number one surprise is Memphis just because – I didn't have them very highly ranked going into the season. Right. Um and they've been able to, you know, withstand uh injuries and and still have a 17 and 9 record. Um but the other thing that that stands out to me and and it's really stood out in the last few days is that the Toronto Raptors have the most efficient offense in the league. Um and as it stands through uh through Tuesday's games, the Raptors have scored 10 point four more points per one hundred possessions than the league average, which would be the best mark of the last uh forty years basically. What? Um so <laughs> yeah, so ten point four more points per hundred so the Raptors are number one in the league at one hundred and fourteen point nine points per hundred possessions mm-hmm. The league average is about one oh four point five. So that differential is the biggest differential we've ever seen. Wow. Now you know the Warriors were doing a similar thing around this time last year, so right. the chances of them holding on to that mark and being the best offense ever is is fairly slim. Right. Um. But just just amazing that through 24 games, the Raptors have been scoring more efficiently than the Warriors. And and the amazing thing about it is that the Raptors don't have what you know a number of guys would think of as as a, a, a sort of the right formula. Yeah. You know the Warriors. Warriors have the, the highest assist rate in the league. In fact, the highest assist rate we've seen in the last 13 seasons. The Raptors are 29th in assist rate, barely uh, assisting on half of their buckets. Um, and in regards to sort of the analytics, as, as far as shot selection is concerned, you know the best shots are restricted area shots and three-point shots. The Raptor, Raptors rank 25th. And the percentage of their shots that come from from the restricted area or three p- point range. So they're sort of defying uh, sort of analytical wisdom to come up with the most efficient offense in the league, and it's it's rather fascinating.
1: What what will that mean for them, Lang and John, come playoff time? Like, will we be able to read anything into this in terms of say they meet up with Cleveland again, John? Will will their offense be so different? From last year, that it maybe gives them a different edge in their matchup with Cleveland if they saw each other again.
4: I don't know. See, the thing is, Toronto the last two postseasons, like this is, they're not really playing much different than they have in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they put the ball in Demar Derozan's hands and they let him go to work. I mean, he's a he's a ball stopper. You know, All he's right. not the guy that you know when the ball comes to him, he's not swinging it he's not a, a you know a catch and and get it to the next guy find the open man type of player he he right. gets the catch of the ball and he measures up his defenders and and then then makes his decision from there um and each of the last two postseasons, the raptors have shown a huge regression in their offense like right. they their offensive right. efficiency dropped in a, a huge number two seasons ago um, and last season too. I mean, they were playing. They. I mean, I don't know if you remember that Miami series, but oh, that yeah, was some yeah. ugly <laughs> basketball.
2: Yeah, I got to cover um, that the series. Raptors,
4: yeah, the <laughs> Raps had a you know a top ten offense last year, and and they got to the postseason and stuff. You know, it got ugly, and you know teams were going to take away your primary you know options in the in the playoffs, and yeah. the teams that we think sort sort of seemed to flourish in in that. Sort of environment in the uh, in the playoffs are, are teams that can move the ball a little bit more. So I, I don't know if this is the right formula for having better postseason success than they've had in the past. You know, this is it's uh, they're defying you know what we what we think is is the right way to play. And and you know, Dwayne Casey will tell you that there's more than there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I. I I don't like it. I mean, personally, I think it's 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 not sustainable over in the postseason. Right. Um, we're going to find out. I mean, but you got you give credit. Like, DeRozan is still a terrific player. I mean, the guy is just right. making shots. The guy he lives in in the mid range. Um, nobody's taken more mid range shots than he has this year, and he's been successful at it. The other thing is he he's able to do that and still get to the free throw line. So it's right. not like. Right. You know the free throws is, is still the most efficient way to score, and he gets it himself to the line. He's he's much like his former teammate and Lou Williams and he's and Dwayne Wade, and he's they're able to draw fouls. You know with those pump fake, pump fakes in, in you know 15, 20 feet away from the basket, guys still bite on those pump fakes. They still fall for that nonsense, and they, he still gets to the line <laughs> without necessarily getting to the basket that often. Yeah. Um, so uh, since, and, and hey, other, since we're talking
2: is, about assists and assist rate and stuff, John, I got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, trivia question for you. Who is, who is the Toronto Raptors all-time leader in assists?
4: Toronto Raptors all-time leader.
1: Oh, I know this. Uh, I think I know this.
4: You go, go for it.
1: Alvin Williams. Wrong. <laughs> no matter what the Alvin. question is when it's about the Raptors, I always guess Alvin Williams. <laughs> I don't care. He's third all-time.
4: Not Damon Stoudemire, is it?
2: He is fourth all time. Hmm. Calderon? Jose Calderon. <laughs>
4: there you go.
2: Yeah. thought you were going to say Ricky that was, Rubio. That was, that was my second game.
4: But one other note on the Raptors is their bench is the best bench in the league. Um, and, you know, we talk about the death lineup in Golden State, but the Raptors lineup of Kyle Lowry and four bench guy, uh, Corey Joseph, Terrence Ross, Patrick Patterson, and Bebe. Um, has been better than the death lineup this year. I mean, what? they just absolutely crushed the Bucks the other night. Um, yeah, and they've played you know a little over a hundred minutes. The death lineup has played a little over a hundred minutes. The Raptors lineup has been better.
1: Lang's Hawks dismissed Bebe. They got rid of him.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he's turned out to be a decent player. He's, he can. He's got some. I mean, he's huge, right? He's got. He's big right. and long, and you know, it's a matter of you know, giving him sort of limited minutes and letting him play his his role, and and he can. He's been a positive, and it's just, you know, their bench has been fantastic for the last three years. You know, the the Lowry playing with Joseph and Patterson has been a fantastic combination for them um, for three years now, and it's just been the other guys sort of filling in. Um, Ross has obviously been there, and and Bebe has sort of taken the Biombo role this year, Mm -hmm. and it's been a, been a, a, a great lineup. You know, they're good with Lowry and DeRozan on the floor together. They're not so good with DeRozan on the floor with bench guys, and then second start of the second quarter, start of the fourth quarter, they put Lowry out on out there with four bench guys, and they are incredible. That's their that's their best um, best lineup, you know. So it's 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 also amazing that DeRozan is is leading the team in scoring and is thought of as sort of a, a dark horse MVP candidate, but they're, they're best when he's sitting in in those second and fourth quarters, and 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 they go out there with with Lowry and uh, and the bench. But that's and it's also to Dwayne Casey he staggers their minutes. You know he always has either DeRozan or Lowry on the floor, um, and that allows them to be you know a, a better team over the course of the game. Right.
1: You heard it here first on the Schumann stat on the Hang Time podcast. The Toronto Raptors are upsetting Cleveland and winning the East. Thanks, John. We appreciate you.
4: <laughs> they are 0 3. <laughs> Sorry, they're 0 3 <laughs> against the quick Cavs. Let's just you know add that. <laughs>
1: We're gonna, somebody, we're gonna hang somebody we're gonna hang somebody out there, we're gonna put it on you.
4: They're 0 and three against the Cavs <laughs> and ten and O against the rest of the East. So, yeah. Nice. there's a little bit of a line of delineation there. Yeah. Appreciate All it. Right,
1: Happy holiday, yep. brother. Yep. Later. See you man. John Schumann with the Schumann stat. Look, if we're gonna make some noise, like if we wanna wanna stir it up, we'll just say that Schumann said on the podcast that yep. Toronto is upsetting Cleveland and coming out of the East.
2: We could just tell Marcus Johnson that Schumann said <laughs> Giannis doesn't belong on the All-Star team at all. Everybody but
1: Lang Whitaker.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know what time it
1: is, Lang. You know what time it is.
3: Bragging rights. It's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line.
1: I hope I'm seeing this wrong. This this better be a typo by John Hartzell. But it looks here that for the second straight week, I have stumbled in bragging rights.
2: I stumbled along with you, I believe,
4: because you picked the same teams. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so we had a. It was like we had our shoelaces tied together, and Saker stumbled. He, he brought me down with him, tumbling down the hill together. So
4: yeah, uh, recap last week.
1: No, let's not. Let's, let's just not, move on. Let's yeah. You, <laughs> you you never mind. Last, one and two last week. Move on.
4: Great job. So this week going to do the Friday, Saturday, Sunday again. Friday, Hawks at Raptors.
1: Uh, Raptors. Yeah. Sorry, Raptors. Hawks.
4: Saturday, we're gonna go Pacers at Pistons.
1: Man, that was at one point Lang in my life that was the most important game on the schedule every time it <laughs> popped up. I was, it used to be a knockdown drag out affair in the central division. I don't know that it's that same game, but I'm going with Detroit. I like what I see from them right now. They've been they've been impressing me with the energy they've played with.
2: I'm amazed you didn't take your pacers. <laughs> I know that's your team. And... Not
1: until David Bennett retires.
2: I will not pick the Pacers until he retires. Well, I'm taking the Pistons in in that one too.
4: Okay, after 2 games you guys again have picked the same <laughs> teams. So, just keep that in mind. We'll for pick this some last pick game. some On games
1: Sunday, that are even. Trying to keep trying to keep pace, baby.
4: <laughs> uh Sunday Jazz at Grizzlies.
1: Ooh. Now that's a good game. Um You know what? I'm going to I'm going to upset the order here. I I like the Jazz. I like the Stifle Tower. He's been balling I'm gonna go with the uh, Gordon Hayward and the Utah Jazz.
2: I cannot pick against the home of Gus's Fried Chicken, so I'm I gonna know. take I'm, Memphis.
1: I just get, I just got my Memphis card revoked with that pick. I know this, yeah. But you know, so be it. That's what happens here on the on the Hang Time Podcast. <laughs> Things get a little crazy throughout the course of the day. Um, big shout out to our man Brent Berry from NBA TV. Glad to hear Rick Fox's voice. This week on the show, John Schumann with the Schumann stat, as always, subscribe. Excuse me, subscribe on iTunes to the podcast. Be sure to leave a glowing review about Lang and uh, his his wonderful elocution of the language, Um, and Brent Barry and Rick singing. We apologize for.
2: Um, (laughs)
1: Please, please don't tune us out because
2: of that bad singing. Also, we should just tell people to keep an eye on social media the next couple days because we're going to be up. Back on the road again, baby. Back yep. on the road again. Seiku and Lang
1: road trip sponsored by Marriott Rewards will be coming your way this weekend. Every Thursday, you can find a new episode of the Hang Time Podcast. We'll see you next week, right here. Later.
3: Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast and be sure to subscribe on iTunes for a new episode every single Thursday this season. And as always, people, remember. Say, Kuna Matara!